Hi, I'm Ann DeLisi. And I'm Chef James Regato. And in this episode of Essential Cooking, James and I talk with Master Chef Sean Loving from the Detroit Athletic Club. We talk about his professional journey, like earning the Master Chef certification, the demands of running the kitchen at the Detroit Athletic Club, and how LeBron James got him started cooking for the best athletes in the world. All right, so we're here with my very good friend, uh, mentor, um, kind of, you know, a, definitely a, a, a guiding light in the Detroit food scene. We have Master Chef. Feels good to say that for a while. You know, we had some resistance to that for a minute, but you, you persevered and got your CMC, Master Chef Sean Loving of the DAC. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that very much. And it's, it's just awesome to be here to sit with you today on this cold day. <laughs> yeah, I think, it's, I think it's three or four degrees outside. Absolutely. So, Chef, I had to give you that introduction sure. because, uh, you know, the, the, the CMC is kind of something that generationally kids aren't really paying attention to as much. But, you know, when you were coming up and certainly when I was in culinary school, you know, the, the, the CMC was kind of like the... I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate, you know, that's the pinnacle of, of the kind of the, the, the academic side sure. of the chef world. And sure. I mean, how many do we have in the country right now? Do you know offhand? 72. 72 master chefs in the mm-hmm. country. You know, I mean, how many try out every year? Do you know that number? I don't. It's declined though, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But you know, yeah. and it's heyday. I mean, you'd have, you know, you'd have this, this competition, dozens and dozens of people trying out, falling off and like, you know one makes it through. I mean, it was like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the real top chef, you know, of the academic world, colleges. Right. So it's, it's essentially the, the, the ACF, the American Culinary Federation, is this governing body that oversees certifications to what they would consider to be, you know, the elite chefs of the, of the industry, country clubs, high-end resorts, um, and, and, and schools. And Chef Sean, while he was at Schoolcraft, you know, was... Uh, was trying out a couple of times, and I, you mm-hmm. know, to me, I often felt like he was the uh, the uncertified master chef because, um, you know, I mean, also, you know, I felt like he was getting a little bit pushed to the side, um, not because of his cooking, but because of politics and you know other things. So, sure. um, so I was so excited to see you get that CMC. Sure. What is it now? Th- th- three years ago? Seventeen. Two thousand seventeen. Yes, so five 17. years ago. Sure. And uh, you know, when it's, when a title like that comes along, I feel like places want to recruit you. And while I'm sad to see you lose Schoolcraft, you landed in one of the most, probably the most coveted role in Detroit, maybe Michigan um, institutions. And you're the executive chef at the Detroit Athletic Club. Now your, your predecessor, uh, Kevin Brennan, what was mm-hmm. he? I think he was there for 450 years. Uh, you 400? missed one year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you missed one. But I mean, he would know, I was, how, how long was he there for? He's there for 26 years. 26 years. Mm-hmm. That's a long so, time. I mean, replacing yeah. him is no, is no joke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that's a, you know, it's, I mean, it's no brainer. You're the first black chef to ever work, you know, in that, in that role sure. at yeah. the DAC in mm-hmm. a, you know, in Detroit, a majority of black cities. So that's kind of a, a long time coming. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, I think that, for you to get your CMC and to get that role all in the same few years, you know, that's that's pretty cool. I'm pretty appreciate it. I'm pretty stoked as a as a student and a fan and a friend of yours. Well, I um I'm humbled, you know, by it and and this is truly one of my, my great brothers and friends, you know, and, and colleagues in the business. Everybody says, Oh yeah, that's my that's my friend, that's my guy. You know, you know, you hear that all the time, especially for chefs. Um, whether female, male, you always hear that, but no matter whether or not it's 
months that go by or every now and then, we always seem to connect. We always seem to talk, chat for a bit, connect with each other. So it is a genuine uh, statement on both of our behalfs that we just really are, you know, fond of each other and, and the talents that, that go with that. But as far as the, the, the master chef exam and, and all of those things, yes, I took the exam three times mm-hmm. and, you know, it definitely and truly does come across as an institutional um, approach towards, you know, um, accolades of getting some form of certification. I, I actually, um, when I was coming up, it was always the same. And it's because those were the only individuals you ever saw or or learned from. Because back then, in those days, getting your, your education was, you needed to go to culinary school. There really wasn't restaurants like what Chef has today, where you can actually be educated right in the forefront of the burner or the piano or the stove. Mm-hmm. There wasn't that. That that wasn't what it was. It was either, A, you needed to be an apprentice under Chef Milos, or you were just going to try to go work at the Money Tree or some of the other chefs that were in, on the avenue. But but really, you know, getting your culinary foundation and core through education was really, everything was talked about that way. And so those certifications were a part of what you learned in the curriculum. That's what you learned in the syllabus. That's what you learned. But I really pursued the exam for total opposite of the accolade of, of, of passing or failing. I really knew that I needed to take the exam, whether I passed or failed, because I wanted to get better at cooking. And I knew that I had received my jobs actually in reversed roles than most. The job that I've had at Schoolcraft for half or 15 years was really a job that individuals would want at my current age, right. they would they would actually be looking to slow down, looking to, you know, just get the goat goat milk and and kind of kind of just absorb and 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 be home on Friday and be home on Saturday and be home on Sunday because it's a a four day work week there and you know there's a lot of those things. But um, I actually was blessed with that job early in my career as opposed to really being in the bump and grind. And I always have just feed it off of that. So I needed to really kind of go deeper and find myself and all my handicaps in cooking which is why I did the exam. I never really was pursuing resort jobs or any of the jobs that were the rumor of each CMC would, you know, when you're done with the Cherokee club, you go there, you, you know, that, that, that was always the deal, you know, like this person's going to get the job at the Greenbrier because he's a CMC and that's the pre-qualification. I never did it for that. Never looked at it that way. I just knew, Hey, the competency on international cookery, cuisines of the Americas, baking and pastry, uh, mystery basket, uh, breaking down uh, four-quarter, hind-quarter animals. And, and all the things that I did did up into the exam, I wasn't very, very good at. Because when you leave culinary school, you've just touched it a little. You never do any of those things in full form, timed, and in rigor. So that was really the ultimate reason why. And most asked, well, why didn't you stop after the first time? And why didn't you stop after the seventh time? And you took the exam three total. The exam is eight days you did it seven seven days the first time and you missed a few points and you did it the second time and did it seven days and missed a few points because each time, quite honestly, I learned so much about myself, what I wasn't good at, what I needed to refine, how to make emulsifications better. And like, I just got better within self. And then the last time I did not really follow really anybody's plan. I didn't follow... Well, this person said do a an en croute, and this person said do a pate or a champignon. I, I didn't do any of that. I said, I'm going to cook Sean all the way, mystery basket my way, my flavor my way, rub it my way, do all those things my way. And well, first day became three, three became five, five became seven, day eight was a marathon, and 
I sit here completed, but that's that's really my story in it. Are is the test the exact same test every time? It is not. No. So it is um the competencies are the same, but you could draw you know many different dishes each time. And um so each time I took the exam it was different. Mm-hmm. It was different different evaluators, different baskets, different healthy cuisine, different uh, butchery. It was all different, which is why I cherish what I did, not the certification itself. I, I really, you know, I know that it has its, its, its privileges. Mm-hmm. Everything does when you're successful at it. I mean, look at who's sitting across from me, right? Success. <laughs> no, <laughs> success brings opportunity, right? right? Mm-hmm. Through your hard work and through your lonely nights and through your early mornings. Not everyone can say they are like that in life. But I never did it for what it brings, but it did really bring me a distinct eye for just enjoying and falling in love with cooking. Mm-hmm. It just really did. I mean, when you're, in, when you're teaching, you, you're only falling in love with cooking by yourself because you could be looking at an audience and they really don't want to learn what, what you're telling them, <laughs> right? So you're really kind of talking to yourself, but you're believing that you've captured 15 people. Yeah. But you really didn't, mm-hmm. right? And so when you do the exam you really are falling in love with touching and feeling ingredients. And wow, look at, look at those beats. You, you, you start to fall in love different with cooking because you're, you're trying to cook it at its perfect form, right? right? Because you're trying to present the best way you know how in front of individuals that maybe you don't even like their style of cookery. Yeah. Right? Not every evaluator I had that I like, not every evaluator that I had that I believe in their philosophy, mm-hmm. but they had to respect what mine was. Right. And that's how and I approached did. the last one. So When you were teaching, mm-hmm. um, could you tell early on if you had students that had an aptitude to really be accomplished chefs? Was that something that was obvious or do some people just work so hard and they get really great at it? It was clear. Oh, there, really? It was mm-hmm. clear. It's, it's, it's really two, two types of students I've had. Um, well, three total. I'd say uh, the first student was just um, naturally talented. Um, you know, they knew they wanted to do it. Um, they've never done anything else. You know, their this par- is their calling. This is their calling. Their parents supported them. Yeah, and that's okay. just a small bunch. Mm-hmm. And then there's the retired individual that finally the kids are at Michigan State. They really have got their plan. They've always cooked at home. And they've set themselves up to where they just wanted to finish up exactly what they know mm-hmm. to do their own personal life, do what they do, right? But then there's the individual that, which is the one I had the most fun with, the individual that's shy, not very sharp in terms of like book. They're not, they can't write the thesis. They, they're, they don't do very, very well on the pop quiz. They don't do very, very well in the book. But you get them in that walk-in and you say, move this lexon from here to here. And you say, we're going to take this pan and we're going to rizzle it a little bit. Then we're going to cool it a little bit more and we're going to rub it on some meat while the pores are open. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. And that person's looking at you like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I found that those were not the most brightest individuals from a, from a book perspective, but were the ones that loved you know, the little bit of, of splatter because there was a little water in the saute pan and they, they enjoyed the, what we call that, that action. They liked that. And those three, you could see the difference in them. And, but, you know, as I departed the college, I could feel more and more that there was the, someone sent me here. 
Mm-hmm. I'm unsure that this is what I want to do. Um, I've watched a whole heck of a lot of it on TV. I love the mainstream of it. There's more of them today. I get it. Well, I think television has um, sort of colored this in a way that it is Absolutely. not and, and, and led folks down a path of thinking, wow, this is really going to be so easy. It looks like fun on TV kind of a thing. James, were you, uh, was Chef teaching when you were there? He was. So I think at that time, this is, you were more of a fill-in. I, think. I was. You know, I, th- I feel like you filled in for Chef Dan a little bit and uh, maybe butchery a little bit. But mm-hmm. I mean, at that time, Sean was... Um, I mean, gosh, when did the well, when did when did Loving Spoonful close? Loving Spoonful closed seven years after September 11th. Okay. So September 11th six. tragedy, yeah. So six, so six, six right? Okay. Yeah, no, seven. 2007. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I was so you were still running Loving mm-hmm. Spoonful full time when I was in college. So mm-hmm. if you remember Loving Spoonful Restaurant on mm-hmm. Twelve Mile, yep, um, I which I loved, I ate there a lot. Um, so he was mostly a substitute, but obviously was, you know, still was still where it was. Sean was very loved by the team, by the, by the, by the culinary team, I mean, by the, by the student body and as well as the, the fellow chefs there. And I think it was uh, always a question like, you know, at that time it was like, oh, when's Chef Dan going to retire? Sean's going to take over. So it was very cool to see him kind of step into that academic side. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, lo- speaking of Loving Spoonful, you know, we did a dinner a few years ago mm-hmm. at Frame where I, I kind of I really pushed Sean. I was like, dude. <laughs> Let's do a Loving Spoonful dinner because that was one of my favorite restaurants. And, you know, at the time, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, there wasn't a lot of like black chefs that were known. And I think, you know, in, in, the, in the greater Detroit area and, um, and kind of did the food the way that Sean did. You know, he kind of he really embraced, I think, some of that like, you know, soul food, but presented it in such an academic way that it was exciting for everybody. You know, so it was, uh, it, it was one of those bridge. It was one of those like bridge chefs that kind of shows, shows me some soul food techniques that I didn't grow up with, but then also, um, can maybe bring some kids that aren't familiar with how to run a restaurant or how to, how to, you know, serve a certain, you know, tier of food or style. And, and it was, it was a cool, it was a cool restaurant that really, I don't really think has been replaced, you know? Yeah, it was, um. Man, I had fun. I, I made so many mistakes too, you know, um, just looking back on um, just being hungry to own, you know, you know how everyone says, I, I, I want to own a restaurant, you know what I mean? I want to be like, I want, I want to be like JR, I, I want to own, right? But then they don't, they don't really know all of the pressures of that, right? They just are, are thinking that you get to express yourself on the canvas, like I get to do me. But the, the restaurant was so was so awesome for me because I was striving for trying to um, create cuisine that wasn't African-American. That was actually my, like, my starting goal. Like, I, you know, I, I know how to do Hoppin' John's and I know how to do brace collars. And, you know, like, I was like, man, I really would hope that somebody would buy my salmon. You know, like, I was kind of, like, trying to um, step out of body because, you know, as soon as you have, you know, the majority of minorities, they're, they're looking for, you know, the candy yam and, and everything that we know how to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I respected it. So it wasn't as though I left it out, but I kept trying to modernize that. But every time I would try to do something out of my comfort, it would always come right back to what made me comfortable, which is the cuisine that that chef is speaking of. So, so at the end of it, I finally found Groove. Finally found comfort in. It's okay to mix it up a little bit, but don't be something you're not. 
be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Just do you, <laughs> right? Right. You know, just just do do you. And if if it's good, it's good. If it's not, you'll know. And then I found it. You know, like I found, you know, fried corn would be cool. And I found that I just found it. Yeah. And and um, you know that that changed me a lot to where I really realized that it's not about yourself. It's really about what is going to be the difference between memory? Like, how, how are people going to think about it? So I would have never thought that that's the thought process, right? Just mm-hmm. to hear him say what he remembered about it, which is my goal now and hope that that's what everybody remembers about it. So right. that that's, it's cool, yeah. right? Yeah. It's cool, cool to hear. Yeah, I, you know, I said, we, I, that, and that dinner was great. And I, I hope, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to cook together. Absolutely. Too. I mean, we probably would have done a couple more of those if we didn't have a crazy last two years. Mm-hmm. But, um, but so what, so what? What is your life like now at the DAC? Because I mean, you, yeah. And most people that I think most people know about it in the Detroit area, but that's uh, over a hundred year old, you know, athletic yeah. club. It's gone through a lot of different times in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's famous, you know. I think the most famous contribution to the world is the Last Word cocktail, which you can. I was actually down in Mexico City and ordered one. The bartender <laughs> knows it, and that's kind of cool, you know. Like that's a uh-huh. Detroit, you know, that's a Detroit export. That's yeah. you know. Not nearly as famous as you know Aretha Franklin, but you know it's, it's <laughs> right. you know it's, right. it's it's known. It's it's not yeah, Motown, right. but it's right. known. So right. that's uh, yeah. that's exciting to to you know to to work in that kind of institution. Sure. Well, what is your life like now versus you know talking about loving spoonful, talking about schoolcraft? What is what's the chef world like at the DAC? It is a monster. It is um, it's um, extremely a busy job on every level because you're you're. You've got 5,000 members. You have um, members that you don't even run into often, but yet you're trying to please them all the time, right? So that's that's the customer base. Um, it operates like a resort, really, with the rooms, with the room service, with amenities, um, the banquet business, um, pop-up parties, um, the restaurants, you know, in terms of breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, the rehab, you know, the hundred year old building, the effects of having your own engineering team, your own laundry service, your own laundry room, you know, not doing the centos or the you do your own laundry, you know, your your employee cafeteria, your tailgates. Um you that's know, crazy. It's, it's that's just, that's it's, a crazy it's amount a, of things a, to you, oversee. You run a little country. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a crazy, it's crazy. And it's, um, you know, just, just to talk about like the scheduling alone, even with not having enough individuals, just the scheduling of that as well as the stewarding department. I, I currently have to walk away in an environment sort of like this and just lay it out. Like I'm laying out like, um, ideas like you would do back in the day, put a poster up and say, you know, I'm kind of thinking about doing some sun jokes. And, uh, you know, you write some different, you, you, you've got so many requests yeah. alone just to fill in the gap before you even begin to plug in the BEOs, what parties you got going, <laughs> how many weddings you got going. And so, so what a learning curve for so me. How, so, yeah, so, so let's say start to finish your scheduling, like let's, whatever day of the week it mm-hmm. is, you have your coffee, you go in the room yep. to build your schedules. How- it's two-day process. <laughs> Wednesday, portion. Thursday, last part of the day. Sleep on it. Friday morning, early, go in. Make the deadline based on the union. 
and get it posted. Oh my God. Do we have time to cook? Oh, I cook. <laughs> I don't For even sure. know how you would have time with yeah. all of those people to manage and all these parties That's and all the, the administrative yeah. part right. of it sounds absolutely it, daunting. It, it really is. The administrative part is daunting because of the amount of menus you have to write. You know, I'm writing menus every day. And it's not because of your staple a la carte or, or cafe no, menus. It's parties, man. It's parties. I don't want this. I want that. I need this themed. I need that. Mm, you right. got wine dinners every other month. Um, you and know, you're just open all the time. Yeah, you know, bowlers formal, um, you know, past president's ball last night, uh, inaugural president's dinner this past Tuesday, election day this past Tuesday, um, which is, you know, we had a traffic of 1,950, right? People. Yeah, 70, we cooked 78, uh, 78 prime ribs, 109s. <laughs> You know, just it's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's 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 like it's like um, I just I can't even. Yeah. yeah, the fun the fun part for me is, or the challenge I want to say is, how can I make the most normal things be as perfect as possible mm. based on volume? How can I make good au jus? You know, like how can for, I for, for two thousand people? Right. Yeah. How, how can like, I do that? Yeah, yeah. You know? that's, that's just crazy. And, it's and like, then sourcing everything. Yeah, like, like the ordering part yeah. alone. Well, you have a you have a whole purchasing a whole purchasing department. department. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's it's a very it's it's a challenge, but it's one that I needed. It's one that I think has uh, made me even more healthy to um, keep that butterfly inside. Keep that 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 like. That fueled edge, I think that I can officially really sort of put myself into a category to say that I am a chef. Yeah. You know, I think there's chefs, yeah. <laughs> you know, but then there's, you know, you're a chef, you know, like you're a chef with plating up a dinner for 250 last night, go on the hotline, just get them out of the weeds a little, expo a little bit, go to seven Make sure that they're okay tonight. Head back there. Wings game. That's a rush in itself. Don't forget, after the Wings game, they're going to come up and do last word. That means there's appetizers coming heavy. It's just a constant chef world yeah. there. As newsrooms across the country close their doors, independent and unbiased journalism is more crucial than ever. We rely on you just like you rely on us. This spring fundraiser, join us in protecting public media. Your support keeps us thriving. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap donate in our mobile app. The kitchen is a hundred years old, mm -hmm. so it must have gone through, I wonder how many renovations to kind of keep up with the volume mm -hmm. and, you know, just equipment gets better and equipment breaks. Well, it's also kitchens. There's kitchens, a lot of kitchen yeah. space yeah. there. So what, what does that whole operation look like in terms of space? Like how much space yeah. is it? And did you get to redo anything no, when you got there? <laughs> This did, is interesting. This you, is like fun. Did, this part. <laughs> did you get to say uh, that's got to go? I'm the new chef. I don't, you know, I don't want this or what? Like, I don't have any clue. Like, first of all, uh, food for two thousand people. For, I can't even <laughs> wrap my head around that. But that whole operation part, the logistics of how it's all laid out, so that you can do your best work. Yes, and and so no no kitchen renovation. I think that. 
property has only had one main kitchen renovation, and it was called a mini. Um, so, for example, reach-ins. Let's just use a, a basic reach-in. We know them as low-boy reefers, and, you know, you walk around kitchens and they've got them. We have what's called coffins. And so these are, are, are reach-ins that are, they look like coffins. They look like you're at the morgue and you open up these sort of stainless steel, hard, it looks like the back of an old milk truck, but they're small. And then they, they only have a, s- a certain amount of space and inside them have boxes. And then that would hold a half sheet tray or cafeteria tray. And so I might have three of them with just nothing but hors d'oeuvres, cold hors d'oeuvres. I might have another one that's got the hot hors d'oeuvres in it for the Garmage area. The kitchen has not been renovated. Um, it's up for renovation 2023, this time 2023. It's a very cool design. Is that something you are designing? Yes. I am like, wow. I'm excited about the cool. kitchen. That's huge. I'm excited about it because of, um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely pay homage. I'll make sure I bring back Kevin and um, I'll make sure I um, get Dan and, you know, some people that have worked there. Mm-hmm. And, and just so that they get a chance to, you know, throw a piece into there. Uh, one of the goals I have is there's these things we have called milk jugs. And these milk jugs are the original milk jugs that, like, milk used to be churned in back in the day. And they sort of have, like, a neck to them. Oh, right. And they're extremely heavy. They're, like, very large. And that's what all lobster bisque and all of the things that we make, we put them in these things called milk jugs. And so my plan is to have silhouettes of those milk jugs hanging in the kitchen. So I got, like, a vision of it. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that it it, it, it comes—the the, the renovation will happen, but I'm just hoping that what I choose— goes well. Um, but right now the renovation is happening in the, in the basement, which is the Abbey, the bowling alley. So that's, that's got a kitchen, yeah. new kitchen and all that. You know about the bowling at the DC, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's, like a, that's like a cult thing. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. wicked. I learned about that. I, I was I, like, I, I'm like, I didn't know. It's like, I didn't know they had a bowling alley. You like, invited me there. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, I was that's, like, how, I, yeah. that's how I ended up there. I know. I was like, what's that? <laughs> you know, when I sat with them, they were like, do you know about bowling? What do you want to know? <laughs> what are you talking about bowling? <laughs> what are you talking about bowling? What are you talking I was about? like bowling. Oh yeah, my god! Okay. It's, it's like it's, it is it's crazy. One of the more I feel like it's one of the more serious culty kind of vibes there, in, mm-hmm. in a good way. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's like a it's they take it very the bowlers gal is the, one of the larger events. Right? Yeah, we just had it this this past week Wednesday. Like that is so great. Yeah, it's yeah. so seriously. Yeah. Um, so Sean, what are the the things about your history that I was absolutely fascinated by was cooking for sports Mm -hmm. and these sports teams and Olympic, um, you know, these Olympians. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw this photo of you with these basketball players and they're (laughs) like twice your height almost. It was crazy to see you with these guys, but I wondered what it was like Mm -hmm. um, to cook. That's like a whole different paradigm. So we just talked about you cooking for yeah. You know, thousands of people. Now we're talking about a specific um, ultra athlete mm-hmm. and you, what you do will keep them in a healthy state and nourish them so that they can perform on the highest possible level at the Olympics. Absolutely. So what, how, first of all, how did you get those jobs? Because mm-hmm. you've done a number of them. Mm-hmm. How do you get those jobs and what is that experience like for you. You clearly must love it. You've done it so many times. I've done but- it a lot. I've done it a lot. I do love it. I love it for a couple of reasons, but it started at Loving Spoonful. Um, the Pistons used to always come and um, I started doing some personal chefing work for that group that won oh. the championship. And um, 
And so then it, it sort of spiraled itself from Rip and Chauncey and Ben Wallace and those guys. And, and then I had um, started doing the round ball one airplane from Loving Spoonful. And at that time, when you're doing all of those sidebar things, what people don't know and realize about restauranting, you will do anything to continue to keep your doors right. You'll do anything. You'll, you'll sell, you'll just sell things in order to just keep going. You're not thinking about your actual reputation. You're thinking about, I got to go to Huntington Bank and make deposits. I got to go. And, and that's, that's like the underground of it. No one talks about that part. To me, I don't think they do anyway. But from that, I had um, gotten a, um, uh, um, a visit from LeBron. LeBron had came to my restaurant for an Easter Sunday brunch. And um, he was there with some Nike guys. And, and then from that, I went and did his commercial with Bernie Mac in, in um, Akron. And then um, it just took off from there. I started cooking for him a lot and doing his commercials in L.A. And, um, and so then the group in 2008 um, that were going to Beijing, right. which had, um, you know, um, LeBron. He was a younger LeBron and Carmelo and D-Wade and mm-hmm. Kobe and just a lot of good, good, strong guys. They were going back to start winning gold again because we had lost. And they said, you know, we're not going to go and join this team unless we have somebody that we can kind of talk to and relate to for, for eating because we don't want to eat, say, Chinese every day, right? That's their thought of, of the cuisine. So long story short, I, I said yes. You know, I, I went out on a limb. Like, USA Basketball called me, and they were like, you know, uh, would you go and be our chef? Uh, the hotel that we're going to be staying at, the Intercontinental, they're all good for you to come and, and oversee the food program for both men and women. So I started in 2008, and then from there it just kept going. I did NBA Live in London, and I did, um, I did Istanbul, and I did Spain, and I did um, Rio, and I just did Tokyo, and um, Malaysia's coming. And, um, the How- reason I enjoy it is because it's another culture, and I'm cooking and doing the things necessary that I need to for their fuel but I get to see another part of the world's food. I was just going to say, mm-hmm. so you, you were just in Tokyo recently. Yeah. And so that's Tokyo right now is probably the most unique it's ever been in right. the last 30 years because there's no tourism. There isn't. But that was the most wicked one because of COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the restrictions were tough. It's just tough. Yeah. I mean, 30, 34 days in a hotel just cooking. But you, you couldn't go out and explore? Yeah, because, because of, of um, breaking the bubble. Mm-hmm. I would have been breaking the bubble based on being te- tested every day. Wow. Yeah. In terms of mm-hmm. the menu for mm-hmm. these athletes, how is that all determined? Is it determined with you and them and a nutritionist or dietitian? How is that menu laid out for when they eat, how much they eat, when they're playing, when they're not playing? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would assume all those things are taken into consideration. They're all taken into consideration. I mean, so because there's different athletes, there is, um, if an athlete from a different team needs a specific nutrition breakdown, then the nutritionist reaches out to me early on. Hey, he can't eat after six or whatever. He can't have this or that. This, this, gives, him, uh, this gives him aches or this mm-hmm. inflames him or whatever the case may be, right. him or her. And then after that, it's just really me building the menu program based on availability of product. That's what's probably the most first critical to it. Because you can't really substitute, you know, bok choy for broccoli if their pregame meal is broccoli. 
you, you know, it just, you just have to kind of adjust that first. How do you source when you're in another country? I start early on. Like, so they send me a list of what they have. Usually the cooks that come and or that are working there are usually contracted employees. Mm-hmm. So whatever hotel it is, USA Basketball is paying the most top dollar necessary for the hotel space because it's not like regular tourists or individuals are in that hotel. It's just like us. So it's like this cook doesn't work there, but he's from a great hotel down the street or whatever. He's contracted to be over there with me. Got and oh, so then I the locals it. know. They know. So you can you can ask this some you can say, hey, where's the best chicken purveyor? Or right. I, I need to, you know, exactly. who's your best butcher? That's exactly right. And then I just rally it like that. And then obviously Zoom became cool like this past Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, get them all on. Yeah. Here's what I need. I need both regular boneless skinless chicken breasts. I need chickens whole. I need them fronts. I need whole turkeys. You know, yeah. I, and then this person can't do it. And, and then that's, that's just really it. But I do have a template. I yeah. do have a template I go by. That sounds like a lot. It but, doesn't sound like 2,000 people, but it still sounds like a whole lot of stuff to keep track of because so many people. It is. With, but, with different, but that sounds really exciting. It's fun. Does this, yeah. And does this, now, because, I mean, you know, some of these people you're mentioning, obviously they're athletes and there's, you know, the NBA side of it and there's the Olympic side. But that also, you know, people like LeBron, I mean, you're talking like a mega celebrity. I'm assuming this crosses over and you do other things for musicians and other celebrities. Yeah. You know, it doesn't just sure. stop with athletics. Absolutely. And so then you start feeding entertainers and their red tape, riders, diets, crew. I mean, that's a whole, you know, you're, you're kind of have to be a chameleon to, in order to figure out who you're feeding, when, where, you why, you know, all the, so, so where have you cooked for musicians on the road? Have you gone out of town and, and done? I have, yeah. you know, um, I have, I, I've cooked for, I've cooked for Jay, um, Jay-Z. I've cooked for Beyonce, obviously, um, you know, I've cooked for um, Yeezy. You know, a lot of the a lot of the individuals that I've cooked for that are entertainment based are individuals that are connected with NBA people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I right. Assume. Like Drake, like, I've cooked for him, but yet he's connected with the connection of like it just keeps lining itself up because of who they deal with because of the athlete, right? So it's just a, it's just really a matter of, right? Just they know each other and then they tell them about you. And then mm-hmm. it's just like picking up a, a deuce or a four top. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got you. It grows every time. Yeah, it's all they it like is. like it, it grows. Yeah, it just keeps growing. So but, you have to be able to cook like different cultures, like be versed enough because you'll never know what someone's going to ask know. for, right? What's the biggest challenge that ever came your way, and you were like, "Wow, this is going to be." I think a I tricky. think LeBron's LeBron's commercial in 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 LA was tough because it was a I had a trailer mm-hmm. connected to a semi that had you know your basic kitchen right how everybody's doing food trucks but a semi that had a, a basic stainless steel kitchen in it but going to the grocery store finding a basic store going back. And the difference between them saying his lunch is going to be at X based on fueling him because he's an athlete, Mm -hmm. but yet his body double versus he makes a a change in a decision because he's going to go have a meeting. That's more difficult than the menu itself, the flavor itself, the do's and don'ts is the timing. Oh, no, he's ready now. Oh, no, they're not ready now. Or his friends are ready now. 
you feed his friends, but he's not ready now. But what you fed his friends, you really had saved for him. <laughs> right? right? Or I want bass. I, I'd like to have sea bass for dinner. Well, mm, <laughs> you're driving, right? So that's what's most, that's been the most challenge. And I hear that a lot from like a lot of private chefs. I mean, I was a private chef for a while. And mm-hmm. like, that is the, you know, because when you have enough resources to employ a private chef, and you, then you're the private chef. No is not really in your, in your you know, that's not really in, in your toolbox. You're not allowed. You know, yes. Yeah, so like, <laughs> you know, I mean, now as, as a restaurant, and that's what you said, the creative freedom, the, you know, you get the pain in your palate. There is some truth to that because I, I make the menu and, you know, you obviously you got to be successful, but like there is, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't have chicken today, period. I don't have any kind of chicken. Right. But if you have a private chef and they're like, hey, you know, so-and-so's kids come and they want chicken. Hey, yeah, you know what we were thinking tonight? You know what we were thinking tonight? We were thinking, nice little chicken chicken party. (laughs) Okay. You're finding a chicken. (laughs) Right. You're you're en route. You're going to go get a chicken, and you're not buying a a hot one that's at the end of the uh, Kroger aisle. You know, you got to go get a chicken. So, So Chef, what um, I would imagine with your job at the DAC now, um, you don't have time for a side hustle (laughs) at all. I don't. This is pretty all-consuming, but it must be one of the most gratifying things you've ever done. It is. I, I think, you know, when I, when I did have the conversation with the DAC, I, I asked them out of all of the relationships I wanted to keep was USA basketball. Mm-hmm. And the reason for it was not because of the notoriety of it, but because when you get on an airplane and you go to another country and you get an opportunity to see how they handle something, I just think it enriches you as a cook, you know? And I just think at the end of the day, um, they would be shortchanging my happiness by way of me having to eliminate that relationship. Mm-hmm. And so um, they agreed, and, um, and, and, and that's why I was able to do Tokyo for a month this past summer. And, you know, but no, I can't, like, sign up for, hey, I'm leaving for 48 hours. The calendar's too thick yeah. to, to sign up for things that are just those little smaller sidebars. Mm-hmm. But there's enough fulfillment with a variety when, when I, I do the imagine. international stuff. One final question. If you had to give advice to um, young people who mm-hmm. think that this is what they want to do, mm-hmm. what would mm-hmm. you tell them? Um, they need to first get a, a dictionary and look up the word patience. <laughs> um, they need to understand the, the essence of what patience means, um, that it's not a light switch. You're not able to have success through others based on their journey. You need to um, create a journey and a path through your own patience. I think that that's a dilemma today. I think that patience is too thin. Um, I think that skin is too thin. Um, I believe that um, when you add those things up together, um, they remove themselves from the chance of being great in this industry. And if they could just adopt those few things and realize that there is a rainbow they would be all right, but they just, the patience is just gone. They have none, um, and they don't look at the end. They just look at the now, and when you do that um, and you look at the, the, the food available on the avenue today, you know, that's dangerous. It's a dangerous way to go if you really want to be all right in this business. You got to get more patient. It's that's about the I long feel. game, right? All well said. Yeah. yeah, that's how I feel. Thank you so much, Appreciate Chef, it. and congratulations. Such a pleasure. Yes, thank so thank you, my brother. Hey, thank you, Chef. <laughs> You're always going to be my brother. I appreciate you. All right. 
Our thanks to Sean Loving for joining us, to you for listening. We would like to thank La Marca Prosecco for their support. From the hills of Veneto, Italy, you can never go wrong with Prosecco, whether it's in a spritz or drinking straight. Joan Isabella is our executive producer with producer David Lyons. Editing, mixing, and mastering by Sam Bobian. Production support provided by Studios on the Pond and original music by the Mallet Brothers. This is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station.